Hello there, welcome back. I'm Pastor Lars Hammer from Lord of Grace Lutheran Church here in Marana, Arizona. I wanna welcome you back to my Walk Through the Psalms Bible Study, where we just take a look at some of the different Psalms. I try to get them mostly in order. I don't go over every single passage. I try to hit most of them. But we'll wanna look a little bit at some of the context, at what is the Psalm saying, but also some reflection on what it might mean or uh, some things that might come to mind today from the Psalms. So, today we're going to look at Psalm 73, verses 21 through 26. This will be our last one on Psalm 73. So, we'll read through this. It's from the New Revised Standard Version, and then we will uh, take a look at it. So, here we go while we're reading through. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a brute beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire more than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Okay, good stuff. All right, uh, we'll just kind of walk through this starting at the very beginning there. When my soul, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, that phrase kind of really stuck out to me, pricked in heart. Uh, I've never heard it, I've never read it anywhere else. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, we know what embittered means, right? We know what an embittered soul feels like. Uh, I've met many people uh, these days who are full of what I would say is a very embittered soul. You know, where you kind of see the whole world and everything through kind of this jaded lens of, you know, who's screwing me over and who's taking advantage of me and who's getting something I deserve. And there's a lot of that going around today, an embittered soul. But what does it mean to be pricked in heart? It's almost like, something did it to you, right? So something got to you, and it got to you not just superficially, but really deep down, uh, and caused you uh, to be resentful. One of the things about the Psalms, you have to remember, is you're reading this one in kind of a paragraph form. If the camera on the setup was a little bit different, I would have it put in a vertical form, a little bit more vertical so you could see the poetry. The Psalms, very, very often, We'll state one thing, and then they'll kind of state the same thing again underneath it, but just a little bit different. And so that's a good way to read through a lot of these psalm verses. It's kind of, they state it, and then they kind of restate it with a little bit of a twist. It's a way of accentuating it. It's a way of hitting the same meaning twice and giving more depth to it. And of course, we remember things better when we get it from two different ways. But it also helps us look at the symbolism of these things when they're coming at something twice, it gives us a bit of an indication. So, I bring that up because I think being pricked in heart means something happened to make you bitter. Uh, something happened that caused you to become sort of grumpy and jaded, caused you to be resentful. You were pricked in heart. But anyways, I, that was an interesting image to think about. I'm a believer that when one is bitter and resentful one is not very open to the spirit and when you start seeing the world and everything in it through the, a lens of uh, who's screwing me over and how have I been given the short end of the stick 
Uh, it's not a very fun way to live. It's not a very exciting way to live, and it's definitely not a peaceful way to live. But when I was that way, I was stupid and ignorant. Mm. So being embittered does not help your intelligence either, right? And we know this. When, when we're angry, resentful, all these kind of negative emotions, when they take over us, we, we literally don't think as well, right? The, the base of our brain that handles fear, fear responses has an ability to kind of take over. The front of our brains, where we do the rational thinking, the cognitive stuff, that stuff gets turned off. They can actually do a brain scan and show that when we're mad, the activity in the front goes away, the activity back increases. So if I'm mad and I'm grumbling like that, I'm not thinking straight. It actually literally hurts my thinking. It also makes me more susceptible to conspiracy theories, right? You know, I'm mad, I'm bitter. I'm looking for things to validate that bitterness, uh, to assuage the injustice I've perceived that I felt. Uh, and um, so, but what does it do? It makes me stupid and ignorant. When I'm embittered, I'm stupid and ignorant. All right. I was like a brute beast toward you. Oh, there's an ignorant thing. All right. Remember the, the kind of goes in twos here, right? Stupid and ignorant, brute beast, A-B. And, um, but I was stupid and ignorant beast towards God. I was that way towards God. So it's a bit of a confession, right? When something made me angry and I was, I was stupid and I acted in an animalistic way towards you, right? An animalistic way, anger, rage, very in a primal way not a spiritual way, not a way of lots of advanced thinking. All right. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. So, even though, even though I'm resentful, I'm bitter, I'm stupid, I'm ignorant, and I'm treating you like a beast, in a, which would be a very disrespectful way. You're treating God like a, uh, the way you would treat a beast. I'm behaving towards you in all the wrong ways. I am not holding up my end of the bargain at all. I am not living up to what my potential should be. I am not being a good follower of yours. Nevertheless, I'm always with you and you hold my right hand. Well, interesting what that says about God, right? Because whose hand is more hard to hold than the hand of your enemy, the hand of somebody who uh, is, you know, always grumpy. I mean, who wants, to, who wants to invite that guy out to the bar? Unless you are the same grumpy and you just want to feed off each other's grumpiness and validate each other. But otherwise, who wants to go and invite that, you know, the crazy uncle who thinks that there's a conspiracy in everything and, you know, everything is proof that somehow he has been the, you know, the short end of every stick and everyone's out to get me. And who, who wants to hang out with that? Who wants to say, hey, hon, let's, let's have a barbecue and invite Uncle, Uncle Grumpy uh, Pants over today. Nobody wants to hold hands with you. But God, God in his great mercy, is, uh, he says, you still held my hand even though I, I was really miserable to be with. Because often what makes people unbitter, you have to melt a bitter heart. You can't attack it, right? You can't confront it. You confront it, that's only proving that they're all out to get me. And that's a hard thing to do, returning, returning uh, bitterness and resentment with love. 
Uh, it's not our nature. But it is the kind of thing that Jesus will talk about a lot. All right. And he keeps going here in uh, verse 24. You guide me with your counsel uh, and you receive me with honor. So not only do you hold my hand, you give me good advice. And there's the great line. You receive me with honor. Even though my actions are incredibly unhonorable, you receive me with honor. You aren't ashamed of me. You don't put me in another place. You don't uh, put judgment upon me. You don't condemn me. You continue to receive me with honor, which is an honorable thing to do. And that says a lot about God. Most of us would not want to receive with honor the, the bitter, grumpy, old uh, uncle, friend, whatever. So, all right, and it just keeps, and it keeps going with a little bit more talking about God's greatness here. Uh, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? Like there was anybody else in heaven. Uh, but, again, the ancient people lived in a world where there were lots of gods and lots of people around them had lots of gods. So the idea that they would be talking to people or they might have an audience who thinks there's lots of gods in heaven. But no, the psalmist is saying, I, I only got you. I only get you. We'll never know 100% for certain if a lot of the ancient Israelites who wrote the Old Testament, if they really believed there only was one God and the others were just pure fake, or if they believed that the Lord God was one God among many, but the greatest of them. And you can fill many books with it. I, you'd have to look to, I'll refer you to scholars who are much more well-versed in this question. Either reading kind of works here, but he's saying, for me, for me anyways, the Lord God is the only one. You're the only one. I'm not, I, I, don't, care about, I don't care about all the others. I'm not worshiping anyone else. Um, I'm staying with just you. And, uh, right? And there's nothing on earth that I desire more. There's nothing that I desire more. Desire, again, is not a bad thing if the object of our desire is a good thing. And what does God say but, God, but over and over and over in the Bible? People desire God, right? God is the object of my heart's desire and the object more than anything else around. And let's finish this off. My flesh and my heart fail, right? I'm human. I don't always, uh, I don't always live up to the best. But God is my strength, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So God builds me up. So, Notice again how this all kind of fills in, right? Go up to the top. My soul was embittered at the end. God is the strength of my heart. So the bitter pricked heart becomes the strong heart. God melts hearts. God changes that. A, a wonderful and amazing God that we have. That's all I have on that passage. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. I hope I'll catch you next week. Uh, have a great week and God bless.